Hi, welcome back to Off the Cup, Evercore Healthcare's podcast. I'm your host, Emily Coe. Today, we're going to talk to Dr. Nimi Tomokomo, our Senior Medical Director of the Radiation Oncology Program. Hi, Dr. Nimi. Hi, Emily. How are you today? Great. How are you? Doing really well. Thank you. Doing really well. Congratulations on another season. Thank you. It's our season number three. Okay, yay. My second season of being the host. So we'll see how much per- longer they'll keep me. So I <laughs> bet you'll do a great job. Thank I mean, you. they kept you in the season three renewal right. of your contract. Right. Yes. <laughs> Where are my M&Ms? I requested M&Ms before the uh, thing. So yeah, and you've been with the company for three years and this is the third season for Off the Cuff. So there's some kind of um, three is a circle of life happening there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. tell us a little bit about your practice as a radiation oncologist. Oh, absolutely. So um, I am a board certified radiation oncologist. And as you alluded to, I have been with Evacor for three, actually going on four years now, um, come June 2022. Uh, but prior to this time, I was actually a practicing clinician. Um, I saw patients um, Monday through Friday in the clinic, um, cancer patients who are seeking out uh, radiation therapy. And um, I did that for eight, almost nine years. And then, um, you know, sometimes you start getting an itch and you start thinking, what else can I do with myself or what else is out there? And, you know, I, I mean, I love patient care and love uh, clinical medicine, but I thought, you know, I, I, I feel like I could do more. And um, that's when magically, just kind of as we're talking about, you know, stars aligning, um, I was contacted by the recruiter at, from Evacor. I was hesitant, but she just kept explaining what it is, the work that we do here. And, you know, it really resonated with me and, um, you know, practicing evidence-based medicine, which is, I think, something that radiation oncologists really um, really, you know, it's kind of brought it and throughout your training, evidence-based medicine. And um, she always talked about, you know, evidence-based medicine, putting the patient first. And um, so as I went through the process um, I and learned more about the company, I was like, I think this is what I want my next step to be. And hence I landed at Evacor in June of 2018. So, and have been in my role, current role as senior medical director for three years now. Great. And what is the current, what does the role senior medical director come with it? Like, what, what do you get for that? <laughs> More responsibility. Jack of all <laughs> trades. <laughs> Jack of all trades. Yeah. Um, so really a senior medical director, I manage the clinical and operation day-to-day within the radiation oncology solution. Mm-hmm. I also work in term, with the guidelines I work um, in developing the Evacor Radiation Oncology Guidelines. I work with our national societies, um, work with our health plan clients. So you kind of have your fingers in several different areas throughout the company, but it's really rewarding, really, really rewarding. And so you have um, a a team of docs who report up to you, and they are Mm -hmm. all board certified radiation oncologists as well, correct? That is correct. Um, they are all board certified radiation oncologists with um, at least five, 10, 15 years of experience. Um, and I think that's really crucial with um, 
the radiation oncology case reviews because they are so complex and radiation therapy, radiation oncology, it's such a niche area, you know? And so I think, um, yes, everyone's a board certified radiation oncologist. And I think that really helps with when we are speaking with uh, the providers, the radiation oncology providers in the community, because we're able to speak their language. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, it's one of the things that, I mean, when you do these uh, peer-to-peer calls, one of the things that um, I, you you routinely hear from the provider on the other end is, it's so nice to speak to a radiation oncologist because we're all speaking the same language in terms of treatment planning and, um, you know, techniques and things like that. So, yes, but yeah. And speaking of uh, you know, a particular niche of medicine, uh, radiation oncologists are kind of a special breed of physicians. Um, is, what is it that drove you to radiation oncology? Do you have a, a, a tremendous background in physics? Um, you know, I, I'm just curious, what makes you want to become a radiation oncologist? <laughs> Actually, I think the physics piece of it all is the scariest part about uh, radiation oncology, <laughs> that you don't use as much of that in the day-to-day piece of it all. Actually, um, radiation oncology, it's just one of those fields that nobody knows about. Um, you know, physicians don't really know about it. Cancer patients don't really know about it until you actually have a reason to encounter radiation oncology. But um, I happen to attend one of the few medical schools in the country that requires you to do a thesis um, as part of your graduation requirements. And so um, as I was seeking out, like, what do I want to, you know, study for my thesis? I, um, I met with a radiation oncologist and um, he happened to have a project that uh, really resonated with me. And so, you know, that was in my first year of medical school. I mean, I looked at everyone. I think I spoke with a neurologist, you know, OB-GYN, um, you know, the broad spectrum. It wasn't like, oh, I want to find a radiation oncologist. Um, I, you know, I he was probably begging that. people to come talk to him about radiation oncology. I mean, I'd never, I didn't, yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of radiation therapy or radiation oncology before that time. And so I guess, again, it's one of those things you meet the right person and how they can help, um, you know, drive your path in life. And yes. so uh, my mentor for my um, thesis was a radiation oncologist. And that's how I got interested in the field because I also had to go in and yeah, and you, that, you don't get to do as much of that as a first year medical student. You don't get as much of the direct patient care because that's just not part of the day. But yeah. um, I got to do that. And, you know, you, and it, it's, it, it's one of those rare fields in medicine where you get the luxury of spending enormous amounts of time with patients. Like that's what you go into medicine for is that patient care, the patient connection. And, um, you get at least an hour with each patient and you could delve into like their background, their family history, you know, who, who's their support system. I mean, you, you speak as you kind of get them comfortable with you, you learn more about them and then you can kind of ease them into talking about radiation therapy and their cancer journey. And so it was just, you know, every other field in med- like emergency medicine, surgery, they're all so fast paced, but it, this one just, it worked for me. Um, I love the, patient care aspect, the physics part of it all. Yeah. That, that, that <laughs> right. <was plural. laughs> right. And there's probably a lot of fear for patients and their families when they come in. So you're having to manage their, their fears and their, even their expectations for treatment. Yeah, no, you're so right, Emily. I mean, there's the fear of the cancer diagnosis itself, 
And then there's the fear of the unknown of radiation therapy. And um, in terms of, you know, what is it? How is this going to impact me? I mean, and, you know, the questions that they have, you know, I, I think part of that initial meeting and that time that you get to spend with them is helping to kind of put some of those like you know, fears and concerns aside, which is like a really nice luxury. I mean, like I said, most people don't know what radiation therapy is. And so, and I think historically there's been some, you know, sadder connotations associated with um, radiation. So you're able to kind of help ease them into the process and kind of help them know step-by-step what to expect. And you can do it in a very like leisurely fashion to really make sure that the patient is, you know, as comfortable as possible going in. It's, I mean, of course it's the unknown, um, but um, yeah. So Evacor, we have the radiation oncology program and we also have the medical oncology program. Um, would you um, mind explaining the difference between those two um, for our listeners? So yeah, within the medical oncology program, I leave them to be the experts, but they, um, you know, they manage um, systemic therapy and all of the uh, systemic therapy being like chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and any of the drugs uh, that are associated with um, a cancer patient. But within the radiation oncology solution, we manage um, uh, radiation therapy and all the associated requests that come with um, a provider who needs to um, give radiation therapy to um, a patient. Um, so radiation therapy is uh, the use of x-rays, um, high energy x-rays in the treatment of cancer. Now we also have some conditions that aren't cancerous that um, are mm -hmm. used for radiation therapy, but the majority of indications yeah. for radiation therapy are um, for cancer diagnoses. Yeah. And so um, within the radiation oncology solution itself, we manage all of the techniques and um, treatment requests associated with um, a provider who's seeking uh, radiation therapy for their uh, patient. So when somebody, um, when a physician submits a request, are they requesting a certain dose of radiation, a certain type of radiation? Um, what do those requests look like? So um, the request that the provider is submitting is basically the treatment plan that they have designed for their patient. So they are submitting usually three things to the radiation oncology solution that we use to uh, make a determination or make a decision on um, the treatment. So they're usually submitting the radiation technique. So those techniques include uh, 3D conformal radiation therapy, um, IMRT, you might see stereotactic body radiation therapy, proton beam. So the technique is one piece of it. They're also submitting um, the fractions. So that's the number of treatment visits, the treatment sessions. Um, they'll tell us that. And then they'll tell us if um, they want to use a type of um, additional radiation modality called image guidance radiation mm -hmm. therapy or IGRT. And so those three pieces of information are what we need to be able to make a determination. Of course, we also need the clinical history, right? I mean, we need right. to know what type of uh, cancer it is and the stage mm -hmm. and whatnot. So we'll take all of that information in addition to uh, the requested treatment technique fractions and uh, use that in making a, a clinical determination mm -hmm. yeah. uh, about the request. And so you're using the, uh, the Evacor um, clinical guidelines um, to review cases, which you help create and maintain and manage those guidelines. Um, are your primary sources for those guidelines, are those um, NCCN and, and ASTRO? Are they um, 
are the guidelines heavily influenced by those? That you, you've hit it right, nail right on the head actually mm -hmm. with that. So the guidelines are um, impacted by whatever's the latest evidence. So, and that's usually through NCCN. Um, American Society of Radiation Oncology usually will put out guidelines, evidence-based guidelines um, on different disease sites. Um, American Co College of Radiology, as well mm -hmm. as an, um, American College of Radiation Oncology. And we have a medical advisory board. So taking all of those pieces together is what we use to develop the guidelines. Um, we try and make sure that um, we attend um, our national meeting that's held annually, uh, the Radiation Oncology National Meeting, so that we can make sure if there's any updated um, or late-breaking interesting news that will impact clinical care or the way patients need to be managed, we make sure that we're in attendance there so that we really do want to stay on top of where the evidence is, where the literature is, where the field is as a whole um, in determining uh, the guidelines. So it's a very comprehensive, complex process. Yeah, and I know that whenever there's um, late breaking evidence, uh, we like to um, revise the guidelines and get those updates out um, to benefit the patients as soon as possible. So if, um, for example, uh, NCCN has an update um, that's a positive change for patients, um, then we would like to implement that change almost immediately and get the guidelines uh, reposted with that revision. Yeah, that's definitely our perspective. Um, the, you know, the one um, that just immediately springs to mind because it's probably been one of the biggest um, changes in radiation oncology was a new technique that was developed that would um, improve um, when radiation is being delivered to the brain, there's a concern that it's going to impact memory, thought process. And so um, research came out that if there's this type of radiation called hippocampal avoidance radiation, you use that, it could help with um, preservation of memory and neurocognitive functioning. And so literally immediately that was published. We took that evidence, ran it through our medical advisory board. We looked at NCCN and made sure we had that update, you know, made so that patients could receive the right care that they need um, based on the evidence. So we really do try and pay attention to what is, where is the field, what is late breaking evidence, and especially how can it benefit the patient. So, and we want to make sure they have access to whatever it is they need through their cancer journey. That's an incredible update, actually, because I think radiation, as you said earlier, uh, has a negative connotation to folks. And I remember hearing folks say um, you could get cancer from radiation therapy, which is that true this day, um, now, these, this day and age? I think, I mean, the issue then was more of the type of radiation that was being mm -hmm. delivered and it would scatter x-ray beams throughout the body. Mm -hmm. And then there would be the concern of, you know, the, you know, maybe another cancer like 20, 30 years down the road due to the radiation. Mm -hmm. But now given the advances in radiation therapy, where it's just so much more precise, um, yeah. you know, we look at CAT scans, MRIs, PET scans, all of that is used in determining the radiation field. So, you know, I kind of think of it as like a black and white television, you know, like mm -hmm. before people would look at images in black and white. So it'd be kind of fuzzy and grainy. We've moved to high definition television. Yeah. I think that's what it's called now. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, like really, uh, you know, very vivid images. So we've got, you know, we, we're much more sophisticated now with the treatment delivery. Yeah. And I think that's really cut down on a lot of the side effects that people have been worried about and associated mm-hmm. with the radiation therapy. I mean, I would actually say most patients are actually able to work um, you know, not all, but there's a good number who are able mm-hmm. to work during the radiation therapy. I mean, it's usually, it could be a four to six week course of therapy, mm-hmm. it's shorter, but um, most patients now are able to work and live their lives during the radiation therapy. So as far as types of radiation um, therapy, different treatments, I know there are different types or different um, approaches that you've alluded to, like proton beam therapy, stereotactic body radiation, mm-hmm. um, stereotactic radiosurgery and brachytherapy. Um, would you mind giving a little bit of a synopsis of each of those, especially brachytherapy? Um, is that like an, an applicator that you insert into the body that delivers radiation um, to different parts of the body? Well, I think you kind of captured it. So I kind of think of it as like there are two groups of two types of radiation and um, there's external radiation. So as the name implies, it's externally delivered all from outside versus internal radiation. And internal radiation, you actually have to put something into the body um, to deliver that radiation. And so brachytherapy, as you alluded to, is, an inter- is internal radiation. And um, there are different types of uh, brachytherapy. There's some that are permanent, brach- what we call permanent brachytherapy. And so um, that's like what's used in prostate cancer, um, where the radiation is actually put into your body and left there. Are those um, the seeds that you yeah, hear the about? Seeds, okay. The seeds, the okay. seeds, yep, yep, yep. And, um, and then there's also um, uh, ones that are more temporary. So like, for instance, what's done with cervical cancer or endometrial cancer, where uh, the patient, depending on the type, um, but the, or excuse me, depending on the stage, um, the patient would come in and um, they would get their treatment and, for maybe about an hour and then they could go home. And so there, and then the radiation is delivered at that time. And um, when the treatment's done, the radiation's removed and then you just go home without any uh, radiation with, left within you. So, but the radiation actually goes into the body for delivery. So that's internal radiation. And that's actually not the majority of radiation, uh, what's used for the majority of cancer patients who are receiving radiation therapy. The majority is actually the external beam radiation therapy. And that's the majority of what it is that we manage here within Epicor. And those different types are the 3D conformal radiation the intensity modulated radiation therapy. So it's also called IMRT. There's the uh, stereotactic body radiation therapy and then the proton beam. So um, the 3D conformal radiation therapy is basically um, taking CAT scans and using radiation beams and you um, target out where your tumor is and then aim those beams at um, the target, the tumor volume. Okay. So that's 3d conformal and it's kind of along a, a spectrum. And I think in terms of sophistication or complexity, um, so, um, that would be the 3d conformal and then a little bit more sophisticated type of radiation therapy is the IMRT or intensely modulated radiation therapy. And just that one has a different um, property in that um, it's able to give higher doses of radiation because to the tumor type because it takes into account like all the normal tissues around it. So for instance, if you're wanting to treat, say, the lung, 
um, because an individual with lung cancer. And um, so you have to think about, okay, this is where the tumor is. And then here are the um, normal um, tissue or like that I want to avoid and keep away from the radiation. So in the, for instance, in the lung, you'd be considerate of the heart, you'd be considerate of your esophagus, you'd be considerate of your spinal cord, um, and then the lung tissue itself. So that um, IMRT really tries to look at what are the normal tissues around the tumor and how can we deliver the maximum dose to that tumor while minimizing the dose to those normal structures. And it allows you to play a little bit more with, okay, well, maybe I'll give a little more radiation here and less there so I can protect this organ a little bit more. Yeah. And so um, then you also have stereotactic radiation therapy. That's a lot. That's a mouthful. Stereotactic <laughs> um, radiation therapy or stereotactic body radiation therapy. Um, and so that's using high energy x-rays or high dose of radiation therapy um, and targeting a small tumor volume. Um, it requires a high, high, high degree of precision because you're giving so much radiation all at once, but over a very short period of time. Um, so for instance, traditional radiation is given over um, you know, three to six weeks, whereas with stereotactic radiation therapy, because you're giving so much radiation at mm -hmm. once, you only need like one treatment session or a maximum of five treatment sessions. Is that reserved for more aggressive tumors? It's just for tumors that I would say are more, um, that are smaller actually. Uh -huh. um, yeah, yeah, because you can't really give a lot of radiation to a large part of the body, you know, but if you can have a small area and you can keep it every, all the other important structures are away from it, say for instance, in the lung, right? The lung is like say this big and then you've got a small tumor that's like this little and then you can just kind of pinpoint I and mean, you can deliver radiation to that small area and spare a lot of uh, mm. normal tissue. So you want to, you can really only use a stereotactic radiation therapy when you're able to take advantage of that principle of, okay, I can really localize that small tumor volume and give it a high dose of radiation because, um, you know, one of the properties or one of the principles that's really important to radiation therapy, um, a radiation oncologist is, you know, it can't, every organ has, can receive but so much radiation and you have to be very mindful of that so that you can safely deliver the radiation therapy. And so if you've got um, an area that needs to be treated and it's far away from everything, then it's much easier to say, okay, I can give a lot of radiation there and I don't have to really uh, be too concerned that you know any other structure is going to get as much radiation. So. Um, stereotactic radiation therapy is more for if it's small area that allows you to deliver um, as opposed to the more um, because aggressive in my mind and maybe that's not uh, the right mm -hmm. to me is usually it's like more widespread of a, yeah. a, a tumor burden and so um, it, it's much better actually if it's a smaller area um, for the stereotactic radiation therapy and then we have proton beam therapy as well too um, and that's another type of radiation that uses um, protons um, for delivery of uh, radiation. And that one is not as commonly done because there have been so few um, proton therapy centers because um, proton therapy were so far, as far as the evidence shows, has really been the most beneficial for um, pediatric tumors or, you know, malignancy or cancer in kids. And I mean, Thankfully, um, you know, that's not uh, a large volume of um, cancer patients. So, right. but there's been increased interest in um, proton therapy 
um, as a modality and within radiation therapy. So there are actually now way more centers. Um, at one point, I would say maybe about 15, 20 years ago, there were only um, four places in the United States where you could get or receive proton therapy. Okay. Whereas now, um, I think there's like 30 and in the next few um, years, there could be anywhere up to like 50 um, proton centers throughout the country. So that's an area that's growing yeah. within the which, field. Um, which adult cancers are most receptive to proton beam? So for adults, the areas that um, we've seen um, uh, the most benefit is are these rare tumors called chordomas. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, that really, I think you, I mean, I, I, I think you could go a whole career in radiation oncology and never um, encounter a chordoma in your life. Um, but so chordomas because, and the, the location, um, it's what's called the base of skull. Um, I mean, they could be anywhere, but the chordoma is in the base of skull just because um, like that's like this part, like take your skull and you hit here and then you go deep, deep, deep within. Um, and it's kind of that area where all your nerves converge. Um, so really important areas. So you really need um, a high level of precision there. So um, chordomas have been shown to um, have some benefit with proton beam eye tumors. Um, have seen some benefit, um, again, smaller areas and more critical areas. And then there are some liver tumors as well, too, where there's been um, benefit with um, proton beam therapy. So it's not a large uh, area. I mean, it's definitely an area of um, investigation mm -hmm. and more and more evidence is coming. And, you know, we're starting to see more and more where there could be a benefit for proton beam, whereas maybe there's not as much as one that um, people might think about. Mm -hmm. But um, Currently, those are the um, areas where we can say for certain that there is um, a benefit. I mean, there are also certain types of tumors in what's called the head and neck region. So literally, as the name means, head and neck, um, that um, there's proton beam, that proton beam might be beneficial for, but it's still um, a very small population uh, um, or a small handful of tumors um, relative to, um, you know, what's relative to what are the most common cancers, you know, like breast cancer, prostate mm -hmm. cancer, lung cancer. So those are, you know, some of the most common skin cancer. So those yeah. are like our most common cancers, right? And that's where, you know, you see most of radiation therapy being utilized. And yeah. we haven't seen as much um, in terms of that in potential benefit in those tumors, but the research is being undertaken. So that could change, you know, in right. the next five years. And We'll make sure we change with it. Okay. Right. And so um, skin cancer and breast cancer, lung cancer, those more common ones, are those typically treated with external beams? Yes, those okay. are typically, typically treated with external beam. Um, prostate cancer, you do see a little bit more of the internal radiation, the brachytherapy. Yeah. That's usually where um, people associate the internal radiation with that. Uh, in general, I would say that um, most, most radiation um, oncology is through... Um, uh, external beam radiation yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. What's on the horizon in radiation oncology research? Is there anything out there that you're really looking forward to seeing new um, outcome studies on anything that you're monitoring other than proton beam? Um, I think one of the areas that I think radiation oncology has really done a great job of is in a way putting, um, really trying to look at the patient and their journey in cancer and how can we, um, minimize how intrusive that the care we deliver 
is in their daily lives, but without impacting outcome. And so one of the areas that's seen a significant growth in radiation oncology is looking at the number of treatments that are actually treatment visits that are needed to deliver the radiation. And so historically, like for instance, with um, prostate cancer, we thought, you know, evidence, we always did like nine weeks. So that's Monday through Friday for nine weeks. So 45 days that patients have, um, would come in daily for radiation. Now, unlike chemotherapy or medical oncology, it's not necessarily like they're there for four hours. Usually the treatment visits about 15 minutes, but you know, you got to leave your home. You've got to drive in traffic. You've got to get to the doctor's office. You've got to sit there. And so, you know, it's not just the 15 minutes for your treatment. And if you're in a rural area, exactly, we talk about disparities, um, determinants of health. Yeah. That's access to care. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that's really um, emerged over, I would say the last um, 10 to 20 years or so is um, the looking at, can we do shorter treatment schedules for um, radiation oncology patients? So like I was, I think I was alluding to for within prostate cancer, it was historically nine weeks now and more and more studies have said, Hey, we don't necessarily have to do it in nine weeks. We've, we're now looking at 28 days in some case, which is about what, four to five weeks. That, I mean, that's half the time. Yeah, um, sometimes you can now do it in five visits with stereotactic yeah. radiation therapy. So we've gone from nine weeks, so 45 days to potentially as little as five days. We've seen the same thing in breast cancer as well, too. Again, breast cancer was traditionally, and, and sometimes it's still necessary, the longer treatment courses. But if it's not you know, we, it's, that's where the field is moving and, um, breast cancer historically six to seven weeks is what was needed to, um, if you had breast cancer and you needed radiation therapy. Now we've looked at the data or radiation oncology as a field has looked and said, Hey, we can maybe do this in 21 days. We can, so about three weeks or so you can do it in as little as maybe one week. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's a really patient centered view um, of how, how we deliver care, which I think is, you know, it's really exciting and it's really wonderful. I think for the benefit of the patient that, you know, because quality of life, right. As more and more patients are surviving, you know, they've got quality of life. They need to, that we have to also take into account. It's not just that it's cancer and that's it. I mean, People right. have lives that um, need to be managed. So that's an area of evolution within radiation is look, I mean, it's, we're seeing it, not just it's breast cancer, it's prostate cancer, it's rectal cancer, even in head and neck cancer. So that's um, one direction the field um, is moving. Stereotactic radiosurgery. Yeah. <laughs> stereotactic radiosurgery is another area in which um, radiation therapy, the pushing the use of that increasing um, we're seeing that there's this concept where, so, you know, ideally if someone's diagnosed with cancer, you want it at an early stage, you know, it's very limited to one area. We can do like a treatment, uh, you know, whether that's surgery, radiation therapy, and you can kind of, um, you, you can take care of it um, with just those. But unfortunately there are times when the cancer is not just limited to one area and it's spread, um, what we call metastatic disease. And so we're now seeing that, hey, when it's spread and it's gone to other parts of the body, sometimes, you know, it's, it's gone to multiple, multiple parts of the bodies, you know, but there are times where it's just in one or two areas. 
And just maybe we could use radiation therapy to treat those one or two areas. And um, then it makes the patients not, you know, be what's called disease-free, so no longer have cancer. So serotactic radiation therapy and for patients with metastatic disease is definitely a, a large area of emerging data. Um, more and more research is being done into that. Um, there's a lot more research being done, I think, into how we deliver radiation. I think we alluded to what's called image-guided radiation therapy, mm -hmm. which is a technique that we manage. So I think the imaging has been great um, for radiation oncology because it is you get to see what you need to treat before you treat right. it. Magic, yes. right? I mean, <laughs> you, you know, it's something that we take for granted now, but it wasn't a part of the treatment yeah. paradigm. Um, you know, I don't know. 30, is that typically done ago. with CTs, MRIs, yeah. PETs, or does it depend on the cancer? It depends on, actually, it depends more on the, well, it does depend on the um, cancer type sometimes, but usually it just depends on the facility. But um, some facilities were only doing x-rays before, but as radiation has evolved, um, there's using um, more CT scans to take a picture. They basically take a picture before the radiation is delivered to make sure that you're in the right place. You know, I mean, that's a large part of radiation is you, you're targeting a tumor. So you need to make sure that your target is on point. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, that's an area that's emerging. So before it was x-rays, similar to how radiology, I think, has emerged, x-rays. And then we've used CT scans for, for image guidance. And now there's a look at maybe using MRIs for, um, to, for image-guided radiation therapy. So that's another area, I think, of um, evolution within the field. So it, it's, it, there's different areas that are kind of coming on board and of course, proton beam. So those are our big areas, looking at number of treatments, visits that are necessary, um, proton beam, image guidance. So yeah, every day there's something new. <laughs> Great. So Dr. Nimi, you mentioned um, medical advisory board. So that's an external panel of radiation oncologists, right? And they review the guidelines each year? That is correct. We have an external panel of radiation oncologists who come from um, large academic centers throughout the country. And um, they all have various areas of expertise and they review our guidelines every year, whenever it comes out or if it comes out twice a year. And they'll give us input as we update the guidelines. And they are just such an amazing resource given their depth and breadth of expertise and experience. And um, they really understand the nuances of the data. So they're, that, they're a great resource for our program yeah. and our guideline development. Yeah, I think the yeah the guidelines are are um, incredibly solid. With the medical advisory board, we have you and our you know 14, 15 board certified uh, radiation oncologists helping to inform the guidelines. Um, we're using you know looking to NCCN and Astro to inform the guidelines. So um, I would say that we are as up to date as you can be with clinical evidence for radiation oncology. I would agree, Emily. I mean, I think the guidelines are actually the backbone of our program. I mean, it is what we use for every single case that comes our way. So like it's our responsibility to make sure they, the guidelines are as comprehensive and evidence-based and as up-to-date as possible. I mean, it's our responsibility for, to the patients, to the health plans, and to all of those we serve. Um, without the clinical guidelines, it would be a free-for-all um, for treating patients with radiation oncology or radiation therapy, um, would that put the patients at risk? I mean, I think anytime you're utilizing radiation therapy and for any 
indication, but, you know, for cancer patients, there's always a risk. I mean, um, you know, we look at risk benefit with when we're delivering radiation. And so um, we want to make sure that if the radiation is going to be delivered, that it's backed by evidence to ensure patient safety. Um, and so we make sure that it's high quality evidence because you can't just take it for granted that um, you, you can just deliver radiation and it's fine. It has side effects and it has toxicity. And so, you know, I think the guidelines being backed by evidence, being backed by, you know, being based on recommendations from American Society of Radiation Oncology or NCCN or our medical advisory board, they work to ensure patient safety. Thank you, Dr. Nimi, for joining us. This has been an enlightening conversation about the radiation oncology program here at Evacor. Oh, thank you, Emily, for having me. It's been a great opportunity for me to speak about our radiation oncology program and the benefits that it has within just the healthcare industry, the healthcare framework. And so it's my uh, pleasure. So thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for our first episode of Off the Cuff for 2022. I'll see you next month.